thank you, JJ, for joining us here on the podcast. This was one of those cases where we, we met at the PVM symposium at the last conference, us as High Five being a professional vendor member, and then yourself being one of, I looked at the list, there's there's only 20 in the, in the world currently, ACCD accredited operations, only 11 in the US, and you are one of them. So I'm in rarefied air, really. The first question I really have for you, JJ, I often ask this to people, especially when I'm interviewing people maybe I don't, I'm less familiar with or just connected with, is how did you even get started in the, the adventure industry? I think it's common that the answer to that is by accident. And that's true for me as well. So uh, my wife is a school teacher. And so this was 20, 20, uh, late 2014, early 2015. She was taking her students to this park uh, on a field trip. And I, I mean, I've been active, you know, all my life. I have a, a very varied background. I've done a lot of different things, but I'd never climbed or done like adventure challenge type stuff before really. So she needed a chaperone. Uh, or two and, you know, free ticket, try something new. So I went along and and I, I assume the kids had a good time, but uh, I'm not totally sure. Cause what I remember is just being like, where has this been my whole life? How is this the first time I've done this? We talked about it after. And she said, you know, you should, you should apply for a part-time job. Like I was also doing education after school stuff. So summers were pretty quiet for me, which obviously is our busy season. And that literally was it. I, I applied for a part-time job. I started as a what we call a monitor, guide, facilitator. Did half a year there, became a supervisor the next year, and just clawed my way up uh, to this role. I want to like highlight the phrasing you mentioned around a monitor or a guide, and then you added that third word, which is facilitator. I think that sometimes, I think the industry can be at fault of separating educational use programming and maybe commercial programming i think of like i'm going to define it almost in the in the acct realms of facilitated guided and self-guided there's this bucket that says facilitated and i feel like conversations i've had with people who have had really high functioning very successful great retention rate on adventure parks are still somewhat facilitated despite being operationally guided or self-guided depending on the, the the continuous play systems or what's going on on the operation side why do you think facilitation is a big part or should be considered a big part of adventure park operation even though it's more commercial focused the heart of this for me just because we're located in Maryland and and legislatively this is relevant we're classified as an amusement park in Maryland and I, I'm sure that's a bunch of people out there nodding, yep, us too, right? And and even places that are more facilitated probably in some places fall under that umbrella. And that's very confusing. We just had our state inspection come out and they were very nice, but definitely a sense of kind of looking around like, yeah, we recognize some of what's going on here and some of this, we have no idea what you're doing or or why maybe. So the, the heart of it for me is that at an adventure park, uh, and using that term broadly to mean kind of anything that's self-guided, maybe less facilitated, like you know, it is that is a tough, that is a tough term, right? Because it's not, but it is. Uh, what I think sticks out to me as a better way to define it: uh, high participant to staff ratio, right? That's the that's the real difference. Is not whether or not you're facilitating, but it's the ratio, right? One to ten, one to twenty, one to a hundred, whatever it is. Uh, so anyway, to the to the original question, as falling under an amusement park, I think the expectation sometimes is that you're coming to be 
on a ride. You're coming, you're coming to have an experience happen to you versus creating an experience, which is, is what our expectation is. There's a lot of different ways to, to kind of say it. One of the things that we say a lot to our guests is we're about individual challenge and achievement. So the heart of the operation is challenge and achievement, just like all of us. I mean, educational, facilitated camp, adventure park, zip tour, canopy tour, all those. It's about challenge and achievement. It's about stepping outside your comfort zone. We're just focused on it being a little more individual versus some of the formats that have a better, a more group oriented approach. You know, you could do this by yourself. You could do it in a small group, family, group of friends. You could also come with 99 of your classmates. You still will have what is hopefully a very positive individual challenge experience. The other really big, I think, defining factor is the staff to participant ratios. That's where the, I think, sort of the nexus of the differences between these different approaches really falls. When you talk about like self-guided, guided, facilitated. I think sometimes facilitation, the, the term facilitation get, can be lumped in with the notion of team, that you know I'm facilitating a team experience team development. Really, when you boil down the word facilitation, it means to make easy. And I've been on some really, really, I would say, well-facilitated, guided, and self-guided operations. It just comes down to the humanistic approach of the staff member in the way that they deal with the client, right? Customer, client, whatever we're working with. So I think that sometimes those that feel you know, not so good are those ones where you do feel like you're just getting pumped for a system. And I haven't got a connection to, I don't know the name of the person who I interacted with. Like, oh, if I leave and say like, I love the experience, but I absolutely loved connecting with JJ. What a difference that does for the organization and the program beyond the, oh yeah, I had a fun time, but I'm probably not going to go back, right? Like in the staff training model, and I know that we briefly talk it off mic around like staff hiring has been challenging and there's a lot of factors towards that that can contribute. What are you teaching your guides when it comes to the more human quality of being a monitor or a guide? I understand that a lot of courses really heighten the, the mindset on the physical safety, which is understandable, right? We're accurately clipping in the right things in the right places and we're ensuring no physical safety. But there is a huge emotional, personal, you know, talk about individualized risk, there has to be something that you do in a training model that leads towards that. I'd love to know what kind of humanistic maybe qualities you teach. Yeah, 100% hits the nail right in the head as far as industries that are so close tangentially, like again, an amusement park, sitting down, the bar comes down or whatever it is, the seatbelt, somebody walks by, tugs on it, no eye contact. If they have a name tag, it probably doesn't matter right? They're certainly not getting your name. And the other end of that spectrum is those really tightly uh, facilitated small group models. In my head, it's finding the spot in that spectrum that keeps us as close to the facilitated end as we can get without compromising safety or sort of the business model of, you know, yeah, we are looking to do a, a high volume from literally our owner down. And you'd see it in our Slack channels, You'll see it in our training. You'll you'll hear us talking about it. The, the word that we center everything on is kindness. That is one of the easiest ways and compassion and patience. But I mean, in every interview that I have with a, with a prospective staff, 
I'll bring up the word kindness during training that comes up in our guest service module and then filters through the rest of training, right? We do the, we do the guest service within the first three, four hours of training so that every day we can bring that back to, okay, how does this activity, this safety check or rescue, or we're talking about that more direct facilitation, right? Helping people through the courses. How is this impacted by, how does this intersect with guest service and what's the kindness factor? How, how can we do this in a kind way? One of the examples that I really like to bring up is lifeguarding, because especially in this high volume environment, there is that similarity of, you know, we rotate every hour, we're on a station, we're, we're watching a watt, right? Someone, a lifeguard is sitting watching a pool or an, an end of a pool or in a, in a water park, they're watching a, a feature, right? The wave pool or this or that. So similarly, we're doing the same thing. We're in an area, we've got lots of guests. There's that high participant to staff ratio. We're responsible for a large group of people. And that's about where I wanted to stop because at least for me, what's the phrase that you most closely associate with a lifeguard? Get out with the pole. My, for me, it's it's no running, the the whistle, no running, no running, or no no horse play, or right. So that sort of that sort of I'm going to watch until there's an infraction, and then I'm going to intervene negatively. That's what we want to shy away from. And I only use the example to say, you know, it's really easy for us uh, in a section of our park watching people to think, well, I'll just wait until somebody either calls for me or. Uh, until I see something that I need to stop. Um, and, and while enforcing the rules is obviously important, again, kindness is where it starts. And, and to me, the, the no running sort of habit or mentality is not, is not an example of the, the kindest way. And I'm not, I'm not knocking like lifeguarding, right? Like that's a whole different, that's a whole different thing. But, th- but there's a lot of overlap, especially for, for the commercial operations like ours. So we, we start with kindness. We start with the, again, the guest service is what we, what we call the, the module where we start talking about that. Um, and that's also part of it is terminology in the industry, right? There's participant or climber. Climber is a little more precise because you could have a participant on low, low elements or in a team building activity, right? Participants very clinical. And that's important in my opinion for a lot of documentation where you're saying, look, this is specifically for people doing the activity, not anyone else. But for us, using the term guest ha- has honestly made a, maybe not measurable, but a noticeable difference just in how we approach talking to every person that's on the property, whether it's a participant or an observer or maybe a past participant, someone who already did it or a chaperone, right? Which is sort of in that gray area. But so that, that guest focus and guest approach has made a huge difference in just remembering that everyone here whether they're a participant or not, should be treated in that in that kind, welcoming, compassionate manner. One of the things I ask people in this in this training when we talk about guest service and all that, I say, how many of us have been to a Walmart or a Kmart or whatever whatever your local you know, Target, uh, even something more I don't want to say high end, but you know more more boutique or whatever. And you know if you stand outside, well, because Walmart's a great example because they have a greeter most of the time, right? And they say hi on the way in and hi on the way out or, or buy on the way out. Stand outside of Walmart for an hour, ask every single person how their experience was. I think if you get 50% of people who are willing to say anything other than eh or, or anything above that, right? But that's not to say that, I mean, like I've gone there plenty of times. I found what I wanted. I found it quickly. It, it was a price I was happy with, but I don't come out like, I can't wait to do that again. 
stand at the end of our experience where we return the gear and ask everyone how their experience was. And I think we're going to get 98, 99% of people saying something positive, hopefully. And they might say, oh, I'm so tired or I'm sore. To me, that's a positive as well. Like, yep, that's why you're here. And that comes from the staff because the product, if you will, the park, the adventure park, it's already built. If I do say so myself, I think we maintain it pretty well. Shout out to my maintenance team on that one. It's already cool. Like what we do, what you do, what I do, what we do is it's cool. It's neat. It's unique. It's, I mean, we could spend the whole time just talking about how cool it is to work in a tree. So that isn't going to change today, tomorrow, in a week. Uh, It's not going to fall down. It's not going to become uncool. It's not going to become boring. But the difference is that the only variable in the equation in the algebra is staff. And we have the power, pretty much the almost the only power to make that experience go up or down for someone in the sense that whatever they come with, right? Because like it may be a bad experience for them because of you know past trauma or fear or not feeling well or or just accident, right? There's there's things where you just you bump something or you get a cut, um, and maybe that detracts from your experience. But the staff, that's the really big thing that can change the outcome. Um, as an example to that, you know, we call every incident, large and small, the next day just to check in, make sure everything's okay, go over any any necessary stuff. But I mean, the number of times that I've been kind of bracing myself for someone to be upset and they're like, your staff was so helpful. They were so nice. And I'm thinking like, how could you, you know, like it's like a 10 year old or something, right? Who got a, a some rope burn or a cut, nothing, nothing like terrifying, but probably upsetting for them. And I'm thinking, how could you be anything but patient and kind with with a kid who's who's been you know hurt or scratched up, and and they're just surprised by it. Like they were so kind, they were so patient, made us feel a lot better. They were so helpful, they responded right away. And I mean, I'm obviously very proud of them for that. But again, I think that just goes to that core of just because there's a, a high ratio doesn't mean that someone won't encounter crisis of some kind, large or small. And when they do, you know, meeting them there in that way is 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 the same whether whether there's a hundred of them or 10 of them, when someone's at that point, you got to meet them where they are in that same fashion. What are the nuts and bolts you think that contribute to the, your staff being the way they are when they're programming? I think we're very lucky. I've always held the philosophy, again, even at a wherever, a, a retail store, grocery store, anywhere. You know, The only way for your, for your customers to be happy is for your staff to be happy. And the only way for your staff to be happy is to be treated well. And I'm fortunate that the the park owner feels the same way and always always has. It wasn't something I had to talk him into. It was something we very much agreed on from the get-go. So I have found him to be extraordinarily generous in my outlook with um, opportunities for staff training, development programs. If I bring him something that I say, this is a staff reward or incentive, he's almost always all for it. You know, I, there's been plenty of things where I felt like my job is to ask and his job is to, from the budget standpoint, say yes or no. And I ask saying, I know this is a huge ask. And if you can't, if this doesn't work, I get it. And so many times he's come back with, yep, go for it. Or, you know, I say, hey, this is what I'm thinking, but, you know, here's where we could trim to make it a little more budget friendly. And he's like, do the whole thing. And that's actually one of the flip sides of a larger commercial environment is if we have a good year you know, there are those resources to go around. 
we bring trainers in. Uh, we've brought a few really, really amazing trainers in from the industry because going to a training is so challenging, but we'll have you know someone like you come, come down and teach us something that we don't know, whether it's directly related to the adventure park or, or again, you know, just because you come from educational use, there's this intersection of facilitation that is valuable. Let's learn from someone who does it differently because there's got to be something we can apply, something that's common or something that we can adapt at least to our environment. Um, and then, and then that also includes internal training, in-house training. We have a pretty robust, we call them in-services, right? Just like little hour long, 45 minute long modules on all kinds of different things, including guest service, advanced rescues, stuff like that. And we always encourage staff, like if they want to learn something, we will teach it. We'll find the time to teach it or let them shadow it. Middle of last year, maybe it was early this year, we rolled out a self-driven program where we kind of defined monitor levels because in the past it was just, you know, you either do the job or, you're, or you don't, right? So when you come out of training, you're an apprentice and then there's a card, 10, 15 things that we want you to do mostly just get observed doing your job, but we want the individual to drive it. Here's your card. You get this done. I'm not going to chase you around for it. When they complete that, they meet with me or one of the other kind of admins talk through it. And then they become a journeyman monitor, which is actually the base level expectation. That's where we want everyone to get, but it lets everyone have their own journey doing that. And then there's an optional level above that that we call master monitor. And that is a lot harder because it's, because it's optional, but it's still self-driven um, that one is a test. There's there's a bunch more hurdles, um, but it lets someone reach a point where they can kind of have a little swagger, feel like they've achieved this advanced level on their own. And I think part of why that's so successful is it basically is the same model that we're going to put our guests through, right? Individual challenge and achievement. Here's your card. Here's what we want you to do. Some of this is going to be easy. Some of it's going to be a challenge. Some of it you might fail at the first time. Get back on the horse, do it again. So we're we're trying to like my philosophy is just to treat our staff the same way we treat our guests. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to push you. Uh, there's some tolerance for failure, but we're going to keep coming back at it, keep working to grow, to advance. I'm always intrigued by like the retention ability of this industry. Like, How does someone start and maybe end? You're in a slightly different tangential kind of experience with an adventure park. It feels to me, and I could be wrong, that it might have less staff retention. It might have greater turnover of staff. What do you anticipate as a way that you feel like you can even make that world have more longevity and say like, oh, I could be in this 10, 15 years instead of maybe a few? Yeah, it's such a challenge. I did I did a pre-con on staff development and retention at the, at the conference where we met and didn't feel like six hours was adequate to cover all the, all the challenges and things that we have tried and are trying. Um, I, the, the core of it, you identified perfectly, which is invest, invest in your staff. They will, to whatever extent, invest back. Um, some of it also has to do with just accepting the fact that especially in our, in my, my environment, meaning like the adventure park style environment, uh, some of it is just, you're just going to get some summer job folks. Um, if you're lucky, they come back summer after summer. Or I, I definitely have had people that come in thinking it's a summer job. And then if they're in college locally, they'll actually stick around weekends or you know maybe a day a week in the uh, fall. Um, I've had some folks when they graduate, come right in to try to slide into full time, uh, you know, at least as a stopgap because they, they, you know, not a lot of them uh, are, are going to school for 
uh, adventure management or whatever, um, you know, ch challenge related stuff. Um, they're a computer science major. Um, but the, the biggest thing is that investment, that sense of being a meaningful part of the organization, not just a replaceable employee, um, and, uh, and, and being seen and appreciated for that uniqueness and some of it's small stuff, you know, providing reward structures for different things like good reviews, right? You get a little, we'll give you a gift card if you get a good review or, um, and you, and you get shouted out and recognized by name and all that. Um, that's all valuable and, um, pretty easy to implement again, anywhere, right? Like you could do that at a, at a restaurant or a, or a, um, retail environment. The biggest thing that I found useful is, is going back to that training. So it's not always linear because even for a big park, you know, we're not, we don't have multiple locations. We don't have, um, we have a, we have a decent sized leadership structure compared to some places, but still not compared to other really large, you know, you think about like a multi skyscraper, uh, multi-level, you know, business with tons and tons of VPs and stuff. We don't have that. We have a handful of managers and a handful of supervisors. Um, and there's not always a spot open. So I've tried to make that a broad set of opportunities. So we've got an equipment team and their job is as well as all of them are part of the monitoring team. Um, but then they also have additional duties working with the PPE. And that includes the guest equipment, the staff equipment, our maintenance equipment, all of it. And, and, and could include, you know, more if, if people came up and said, Hey, we want to take over, you know, inspecting the fire extinguishers or something like, sure. Somebody's got to do it. It could be you. Um, we have a maintenance team and they're obviously, I think that's the easiest one to, to sum up, right. Just keep the course up in the air. Um, and then we have, uh, we recently added, um, I guess oh, coming up on two years now, but a facilities team, um, and they are focused on the basically a kind of groundskeeping what you, what you traditionally think of as maintenance or facilities at, um, again, at, at a place that doesn't have a climbing activity. Right. So they're keeping up fences and landscaping and, and, and like that alone, I mean, they've added a couple spots. I can't even tell you how beautiful they are. Little, little gardens or one's got a little water feature in it. Um, and, and largely on their own initiative, um, you know, like they were like, oh, we're going to work on this area. Is that cool? Yep. And talk budget and all that. And then when I come in, look at it three, four weeks later, I'm like, what? what you told me does not hold a candle to how just detailed and, and good looking this is, right? I mean, just beautiful stuff. Um, and that's the, that's the second side of it for me is that um, initiative. And, and again, it's just the flip around of the buy-in is saying, we're investing in you. I want something out of you more than just your drudgery, more than just following rules, following orders. I want your ideas, your initiative. I want you to take risks. Like we talk about, um, I guess it's, I never, I never kind of put it together, but it's the same as talking about challenge by choice or, or, uh, you know, risk management, right. Is okay. If you're now in a, a role where you have some, uh, either leadership or ability to take initiative, you know, maybe you now have access to some budget or whatever. Um, there's also risk involved in exercising that initiative. Like you might do something that we say like, Ooh, I, that's not okay. Or that's, that's above the scope of your position or whatever. But 
to a small extent, I encourage that. And we talk about levels of initiative, like, you know, here's when you should pause and bring me a proposal. Here's when you should hit the gas and give it a try and let's see what happens. Um, and that, that freedom, um, that, that stewardship is what we call it. We give people what we call stewardships really makes people again, feel valued as an individual. So even if this isn't their career track per se, their interest and willingness in sticking around, making this a long-term part-time job or making this, um, their, their, their full-time job for a longer period before they really put, you know, some effort into finding their path in their chosen industry goes up. Um, so I, I do feel like I've seen retention levels slowly increase over the years. And we, again, we have to discard a small bit of that data set, excuse me, just to the fact that some people are never going to stay in this. And that's okay. Like, you're just saying like, that's okay. This segment of people are going to come in, be really good at the job and then move on is, is fine. But for the ones that, uh, that we can, those are the, those are kind of the two really big thrusts. I think that make them feel like they have a place here that that's worth sticking with for a while. Cause I train at so many different organizations and I get to see some like kind of a really good snapshot of the industry. Those that have really successful programs have a, either a staff member, either in a designated role that says staff development director, or they have some formal staff development plan. And from everything I'm hearing, you have a plan. It can sometimes go unnoticed. So I want to give you credit and say, once again, rarefied air that I'm experiencing that you've, you've got this program. When we think of staff development or career development, I think sometimes we think narrow in like, how do I keep people in my organization? But the number of people that probably leave your organization with a really positive experience in our industry is only going to potentially keep them in it. I worked for the YMCA and I give them great credit because they invested in me and I ended up getting a good level of qualification, certification and training where I felt I leave, I could leave, which to some organizations are like, wow, I've just trained this person up, spent money on them and then they get out, but I'm still in the industry. And so I credit that because they kept me in and kept me invested and passionate. And there was that stewardship model that I felt invested in the industry. I felt invested in the why, of course, and I stayed there for seven years, but then I felt like I had to leave and stepped in the, in the industry. And now high five as experiencing the benefit of an investment from another organization. And I appreciate any organizations that realize like, yeah, it's not just about how do I keep this person here with me? How do I trap them in this job? But how do I get them excited about an industry that's going to invest and feel like they can support my clients to the best of their abilities and then leave? And then also they're going to spread the word of like, yeah, Adventure Park at, at Sandy Spring is a really cool place to work, right? Like there's, they're going to feed in that industry and help grow it as well. And we can't keep and trap it to ourselves. It's really great hearing from a hearing from that perspective too, because vendor and operator are two hands on the same body, right? And and your opportunity to go so many places, see what they're doing is super helpful to hear as an operator because we're located in our one spot, we're doing our one thing. And even just getting out personally and seeing other, op- I mean, I've just gone to other places just as a participant, sometimes, you know, making it clear what I do and sometimes trying, it doesn't always work, but trying to blend in, right. And just see how they do stuff um, is so valuable. And so sometimes I envy that the vendor opportunity to be like, you know, you've seen hundreds or thousands or whatever it is of, uh, of different operations and what they do. And that, 
is is super cool to learn from and and as a rare opportunity for operators to do as much and so these conversations across the table just are just so stimulating to me because even just hearing what you've observed seems to contribute to a successful program makes me feel oh whew, okay good like i feel like it's working but you know maybe we got lucky maybe i don't know you know maybe we just pay better than other places in the area i have no idea really right but hearing that is is super helpful we are open three seasons. We're shut down for about 10 to 12 weeks, mid-December, mid-March. I, I could see someone making the argument, okay, even if we have, because actually last year we had someone who basically was training direct, I mean, just training. That was it. And, and like you said, development as well, right? And that had a huge impact. That, that, was, that was monumentally helpful. Uh, he unfortunately went on to school, but has even come back in the meantime, sometimes to help us with larger training groups or with some of our developmental stuff. So yeah, it's really easy to be like, okay, this is a huge investment. I mean, just all this, you know, the salary, the the taxes, the benefits, if you have them and, and for what they're just going to do training all year long. Like what are they going to do in the off season? Develop training programs is the, is the key there, but it's so easy to weigh that against the cost of hiring. And that's, Whatever you do to to market the job, I mean, you found our employment tab, right? But we use online job boards, which have a cost. It costs my time to interview and to do all the administrative stuff of hiring. We're on school property, so we do background checks. That all has a, a tangible cost that you can weigh. But then, you know, every time you walk down, every time you walk out into your operation and you look around and you think, why are they doing that? That's not the most efficient way to do that. Or that person isn't delivering guest service quite the way that I hope they would. Take a moment and ask yourself, is it because they're new? Because look, I love hiring and training because you get to meet all these new people and meet all these cool folks and see them at the beginning and then look back, you know, hopefully two, five years later and be like, wow, look how far they've come. But it's also a gamble. I mean, some folks interview really well and then don't pan out the way you hope. Because on the flip side, you know, everybody would think like 90, 95% retention rate, like I would cut off a foot for that. Like, that's fantastic. But you're 100% right. It comes from that attention to development. And there's no, there's no shortcut. There's no other, other way. There's no other way. Like that is why that's succeeding. Um, and if you want that, you have to make the investment in whatever the, the person, the tools, the resources, the program to do that. And it will make a difference, guaranteed. Thank you, JJ, for chatting. I, with everyone I talk to, we could always chat longer. I have. I'm the. I'm the bad guy here. I'm the. I'm the lifeguard who's blowing the whistle and saying, "Get out of the pool." <laughs> out of the pool. <laughs> it's got to be done. I understand. It's okay. Thanks, JJ. Super appreciated this. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay. Try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>